So when I started teaching, I started out in Western Sydney, in all of the toughest schools out in Western Sydney. And, uh, and I really wanted to try and make a difference into young people's lives. So I thought, I'm going to go out, I'm going to be salt and light, I'm going to work in the toughest areas. And so I did that for a long time. After a little while, I then got employed by the Department of Education to work in the Behaviour Modification Unit. And when you work in the Behaviour Modification Unit of the department, what that means is that they're going to send you to the toughest schools and work with the toughest kids in those toughest schools. And so I did that for quite a long time as well and really enjoyed it. Then we went to England for a while and I went into schools where they paid you danger money. So you could earn an extra 30 quid a day just to go into schools that no one else would dare go into or go near. And I thought, well, 30 quid, how, how tough can it be? So I'd do that. Then you used to get paid extra to do playground duty because it just was not safe place for teachers to be out on the playground. So in one day I could earn myself an extra 45, 50 quid just because I'd go into tough schools and do a playground duty that no one else could. I loved working with these kids. The reason I became a teacher was because of a movie called To Sir With Love. Who's old enough in the room to remember to serve with love? Sydney Poitier, yeah, we remember that. You youngsters, get on YouTube, do yourselves a favour to serve with love. Great movie. I came a teacher because I wanted to speak into young people's lives. I want to make a difference in their world. For me, it wasn't about the ABCs of the curriculum. It was about seeing some of these guys uh, and girls turn their life around, just start living differently and I thought that I had something that I could possibly offer. My mates used to doubt that severely and still question me today how they let me run a school but some people think that I've got something to offer young people today and so I used to love that. That was what it was about and nothing's changed. That's still my heartbeat today and, uh, and being in Cessnock is just an absolute blessing. I suppose if we were using common language today it'd be sort of called like a mentoring type of thing. Yeah, where it's the whole of their life. And that's become somewhat of a buzzword, the whole mentoring thing and what that means. And, and I think that a lot of us throughout, many of our, throughout our life have probably had a series of mentors. When I was a young, young fella, growing up in Brisbane, sports crazy kid, Wally Lewis and Greg Chappell, I copied everything, the way they walked, the equipment they used, how they did things. I, I mimicked them to the absolute nth degree. I, I studied them and I did everything that I could to be about them. When I became a little bit old as a teenager, as a youth leader, I dressed the same way, I used the same language he did. And we would know that there's guys who are a little bit older than us and we think to try and fit in with those guys, there's something about them. We sort of, we model our life on how those guys are living and what they're saying and how they're dressing and where they go and the music they listen to and the stuff they're into. And, and I copied that and his name was Wally Greentree. He's a great guy. As I got older and got, got married and became a dad, there would be older men that I would look up to as to actually how were they leading their lives as godly husbands and godly fathers. And so I'd look at those guys. Now as a leader, I still look to leaders today, guys like Bill Hybels and Wayne Bennett and, and anyone who was a legendary leader. I'm looking at them. What can I study from them? What can I learn from them? I think it's actually quite biblical. Yeah, what Paul says in Corinthians, he says, what does he say? He says, imitate me. That's what he says. So, so for our entire life, we have this whole type of thing that we're imitating people. We're looking at people that we can learn something from and we can apply to our own life. And over the next few weeks, what we are going to do is we're going to look at the life of Peter. And what I'm going to encourage us is that he's going to become somewhat of our mentor over the next few weeks. That hopefully there is something in the life of Peter that we can actually, that even though this guy lived centuries and centuries ago, there is something in here that he has got for us here today. And over the next few weeks, we can learn from the life of Peter and apply to our life. So let's turn to John chapter 1, verse 42. 
Is that right? Sorry, John 31, 35. Yeah, you're right, Cameron, I'm wrong. <laughs> Sorry, never doubt the tech guys, they're always all over it, aren't they? John 1, 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. Yeah, and we're going to meet Peter for the first time. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. I love this. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. First time he sees him, Jesus looks straight at him and says, you're called Simon, you'll now be called Cephas, which means Peter, and we'll soon find out what that means. So if we can turn to that next passage, Cameron, which is Matthew chapter 4. So if you turn with me now to Matthew chapter 4, and we'll be reading from verse 18. And it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Peter is an incredible bloke. He is brash at times. He's confrontational. He's in your face. He speaks before he thinks. Um, I can really associate with this guy on many, many, many levels, and that's one of them. He is a fantastic young bloke, and over the next little while, we're going to meet him. This call that he receives, he is not lying in the temple. He's not in a Bible study group. He's not standing in front of a burning bush. There's no big dazzling light that comes down to him. He's in his workplace. He's out. He's fishing. He's casting a net. He's doing what he's just, his daily business, and he encounters Jesus. Too often, I think we read the scriptures and we think, oh, it's all right for those guys. They were like in the spiritual age of things and they were like right in there and Jesus was right there. And, oh, and it's different for them because they would have been in the temple. Of course, Jesus, Peter was out casting his net, he was fishing, and he encountered Jesus. And Jesus will encounter us wherever we are today in our life. Whether that's sitting here in a ch- church building here, whether it's when we're out on the road delivering pizzas, whether it's wherever we are, Jesus will encounter you where you are. So please do not read this as, well, that's Peter. He's like the guy they end up building the church on. He's written books in the Bible like, oh, it's all right for him. He's a fisherman and Jesus got him right where he was. He's an ordinary, everyday bloke going about his business and we're going to encounter Jesus in exactly the same way over the next few weeks. So the first thing that Peter showed was a heart of surrender. It's actually the meaning of the root word disciples. Yeah, which we get disciple from, actually means surrender. When Jesus calls us, do we surrender? How much do we surrender? In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. 
Isaiah didn't say, here I am, send me, but can you only send me to these areas here? Or can you send me somewhere where the temperature sort of ranges in this area here because I like that? Or can you send me somewhere where they listen to this music? Can you send me somewhere that I can still be close by my family? Isaiah didn't say that, nor did Peter when Peter received the call. When Jesus said, come follow me, at once they dropped their nets and they followed. That is a true heart of surrender. Many years ago when I was a uh, deputy principal down in Sydney, um, our church was looking for a youth worker to work in the schools and a youth pastor. And, uh, and so I had been on these interviews for a couple of years. And every time we finished one, I thought, geez, my heart had start pounding. And, and uh, anyway, this one year, I'm at a very good school in Sydney. I'm deputy principal. I'm in this principal's training program. And, and uh, at the end of that next year, I was going to be a principal at sort of the age of 29, 30 and be one of the youngest principals in the state. And the whole path was set up ahead. And we just did another one of these interviews. And I thought, that's supposed to be me. And so I went and spoke to the pastor and I resigned from public education for a two-day-a-week youth worker's job for our school, for our church, sorry. It wasn't full-time, it was two days a week because I just knew that that's what God had for us. We had mortgage, Esther wasn't working, we had kids at home and, uh, and that freaked Esther out to the absolute end, as you can imagine, and it freaked me out and it didn't make any sense. But when God calls you and you're obedient and you follow and he looks after you, and we surrender, and we don't put conditions on there. There's no conditions. If we turn to that next one, please, Cameron. <clears throat> In Luke 9, he said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plough and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Both of those guys, when they were called by Jesus, agreed and said, yes, but first let me do something. They agreed. They didn't say no. They didn't, they didn't argue with it. They didn't disagree. They both said, yeah, we agree. That's a great idea. We want to follow you, Jesus. But first, just I've just got to do this other thing. They put a condition on it. They put a condition on it. And each time Jesus replied to that, And we don't read about them anymore in the scripture. Peter at once left his nets and followed him. Where are you today in your heart of surrender? Is there one thing, is there something that you are hanging on to? Do you have a sense that God actually wants you to go in a direction, to be something, to do something? And yet fear or humanness or the stuff of this world says, oh, that doesn't make sense. Like, is there something that you're hanging on to and you haven't fully just actually let go and dropped your net and said, Jesus, I will follow you to the ends of the earth, come what may. It will come at a sacrifice. It will come at a cost. But when you give your heart 100% to following Jesus calling on your life, man, it makes a massive difference. The second thing in this calling is that it gave him meaning for life. When Jesus calls you, he doesn't just call you so you can come and sit in a building on a Sunday and feel good about yourself. He doesn't come, he doesn't call you just so you have these warm, fuzzy feelings about life and how lovely it is. He doesn't call you so you just get to hang out with a group of lovely people. He calls you and he calls you for a purpose. In Matthew 20, 28 there, he calls us to the Great Commission. He calls us for a purpose. In John 
in Luke 10, when he sends out the 72, he doesn't just send them out on a holiday. He sends them out to go and to preach and to release people and to heal. He, he, he sends us for a reason. What does he do for Peter here? He calls him to be a fisher of men. So he doesn't just say, come follow me. That's not where the call ends. It's not, come follow me and I'll make you feel good about yourself or come follow me and I'll answer all your problems. Come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Here is your purpose. When you have a purpose for your living, when God calls you for a purpose and you know that purpose, man, it ignites a passion in your heart. It changes the way you look at the world. It changes the way you wake up in the morning. You wake up in the morning and your heart is soaring because you know that you are doing what you are meant to be doing. You are in the zone of where you are meant to be. What is the purpose that God has called you for? He's got a different purpose and a plan for every single one of us. Part of that plan, though, is that we would be fishers of men. If we want to be the church, we need to go and make. That's part of the calling, and that's what Jesus is calling Peter to here. Not just to, hey, Peter, come follow me. Yes, good, that's being the church. No. Come follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. That is go and make. That is our calling as a church for this year. And we can do that in any sphere. He's not calling us all to be a pastor of a church or a preacher or a worship leader. He called Peter to go and make. Where are you to go and make? And we can do that in any of our spheres. I think of Jordan who works with guys in the gym. Yeah, I'm sure Jordan just doesn't do that job so he can walk around in a little singlet all day to show off his big fancy muscles. I'm sure he does it because he wants to make a difference in people's lives physically. As he makes a difference in people's lives physically, he then also has the opportunity to impact their lives spiritually. I love it when I engage with the person who makes my coffee in the morning. Is making a coffee a job because you do, because it's sort of just routine and mundane, or actually you get to speak joy and life into people's world all day, every single day. Hey, how are you going? You get to build relationship with the same people that you would see every single day. How do you go about your work? What is your purpose for living? And it can be in any of those spheres that you get to bring a godly influence to have a godly impact on people's lives. And that's what he called Peter to. And I just think that's fantastic. It's interesting that he called him to be a fisher of men. Because back in Ezekiel chapter 47, there's a, there's a passage of scripture that talks about the, uh, the water that's flowing from the temple. And it says that this water will flow from the temple and wherever it goes, it will bring to life that which was dead. There'll be a lot of living things from this water that flows from the temple. That as this holy water comes from the temple and it impacts, things will come to life. There will be an abundance of fish. There will be an abundance of life. And then in verse 10, it says that the fishermen will stand along the shore and spread their nets to catch that fish. That's a, that's a prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 47. And then centuries later, he's calling us to be fishers for men. And it's changed a little. In the Old Testament days, the water flowed from the temple and it was in the one place. Now we are, we carry the Holy Spirit with us in our hearts. We are that temple of God and that living water should flow from us to others. That people should encounter the life-giving flow from our lives into theirs as we share Jesus with them. And as they encounter that, the harvest is going to be plentiful. What was dead will come to life. There will be swarms of living creatures. And then it says, fishermen will stand along the shore. And what's he calling Peter to be? He's calling Peter to be a fisher of men. 
We are all called to be a fisher of men. Every single one of us, that is the purpose. That wasn't just for Peter many, many years ago. The prophecy says the water will flow from the temple and it will come to life. There will be swarms of living creatures. Heaps and heaps. As we, the living temple of God, share that water, there will be, there will be swarms of living creatures. That which was desolate or dark or lost will come to life. That which was hurt or broken will be restored again. And we are called to be the fishers of men who would spread our nets and share the incredible good news of Jesus. One of the big changes in uh, Peter's life is that we saw his name was changed. It goes from Simon, which means hearing, to Cephas, which means Peter, which is the rock. Now, that's a really pretty cool name. I don't know if anyone ever tried to give himself a nickname when they were younger. Come on. I'm not the only one, surely, aren't I? There's, there's other blokes in the room who surely tried to give himself a nickname when they were younger. Hubbard, you definitely would have. Look at you nodding away up there. And it never sticks. When you try to give yourself a nickname, it never works. It never works, yeah? But there's something about that change in name, yeah? And he calls him The Rock. I think a Rocky Balboa. Think of The Rock. I wish I could do the eyebrow thing right now if I could do the, uh, the, uh, the whole rock. Dwayne Johnson at Rock Eyebrow thing. When you think of those guys, you think of... St- <laughs> That's excellent. There's a half a dozen men in the room right now trying to do the Rock Eyebrow thing. Women, don't worry about it. Google it later on if you don't know who he is. Those guys, they, they, it suggests strength. Yeah, like that's why they call themselves that name. When you think of a rock, you think of strength, you think of stability. It's firm, it's reliable. That's who Peter gets called. That is a cool, cool nickname. That is a cool change. So when we start a relationship with Jesus, we are born again, not physically, but spiritually. There is a change in us. And in Peter, his change is he goes to be called the rock. And a new name brings a new character, brings a new identity. And, uh, and in the life of Peter, he's now going to be called the rock. If Jesus looked at you and called you the rock, imagine what would that would do for your heart and for your soul. You're the rock. I knew I'm going to build my church, he goes on to say later. What a vote of confidence. That's the Messiah. That's the King of Kings saying to him, on you, I'm going to build the church. You're the rock. I can imagine Peter's demeanor would have just really lifted and risen to the occasion. Oh, man, Jesus Christ has just called me the rock, yeah? I'd give anything for some of my mates to say, man, you're the rock. And then as we will explore, explore in the next few weeks with Peter, at times he displayed anything but rock-like characteristics. If you had a mate who was called the rock, you think they'd be there for you the entire time. They will be there no matter what happens. We read that verse of scripture that says, hey, build your house on the rock. Yeah? So we get this image that you build your house on the rock. Why? So when the storms come, when it gets really tough, when tough times come, the house on the rock will stand and will not fall down. And he says to Peter, you are the rock. On you we're going to build the church. 
So no matter what happens, no matter what tough times come, whatever happens, you will be the man that we're going to rely on to get this thing off the, off the ground and actually happening. And what happens the first time, the first time we need Peter to stand up and be the rock, as Jesus is being tried and convicted and crucified and they say to Peter, hey, you were with him. No, I wasn't. No, I don't know him. And at the first stage when Peter needed to display rock-like characteristics, he fell by the wayside and he gave it up. This incredible teacher, this mentor, this healer, this Messiah that he had spent three years with, who had built into him, had incredible relationship with, the first sign of trouble he gave Jesus up. And that's the man that Jesus said, hey, I'm going to call you Peter, which now means the rock. Gee, if he's called Peter, doesn't that fill us with some hope? That if he called this guy Peter to be the rock, and then at the first sign of troubles, he stuffed up and wasn't actually the rock anymore, he calls us too. Peter wasn't some guy that was so super spiritual that he was never going to let anyone or anything down because he let Jesus down at the first sign of trouble. And he will call us as well. That we might see our weaknesses, we might see our inadequacies, we might see where we've let ourselves down or we've let God down at different times, where we've stuffed up, where we haven't lived a life we've wanted to live, where we haven't been the husband or the father that we should have been, we haven't been the friend we should have been, and we can beat ourselves up. And the fact is that God loves you and he calls you. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, You are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Are you letting those words sink into your heart today? Because sometimes we can read what these, who these disciples were and we can see them in such this different light. But this guy, Peter, who let Jesus down when he shouldn't have, Jesus is calling us to the same. You are God's own possession. God's own possession. Does that make your heart sore? That the God of the universe actually says, you're my possession. Peter was confrontational, he was brash, he spoke before he thought, and we'll see a whole lot of his personal characteristics come through. And Jesus didn't see him as the man that he was, but actually the man that he would become. And likewise with us, he sees you not as you are now, with the inadequacies or the faults that we see ourselves with. He sees you as the person you can become. He is a transformational God. And in the life of Peter, we see incredible transformation. This man who let Jesus down when he shouldn't have, only a short time later stands up in Jerusalem in front of thousands and speaks the word of Jesus and sees 3,000 come to faith. His life was transformed because of his relationship with Jesus. And Jesus has that same transformational effect on us today. That the man I once was is not the man who stands before you today. Hallelujah. And my prayer is that you know that for your own life as well. And if there are those areas that are still you see yourself as the world would see you with faults or inadequacies and insecurities, 
My prayer is that you would come to see yourself in the same eyes that God sees you. Because you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's own possession. He knit you together when you were in the mother's womb. And he says, I need one like that. And I need one like this. And that person, oh, who are they going to impact? In John fifteen sixteen, it says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. God chose you. This isn't just a Peter thing once and for all. This is what we're learning from this. Actually, God chose you. He has called you. And we can sit here and think, oh, I've chosen God. God chose you. He chose you well, well before you were thought of. And as I said before, when he chooses you, he doesn't just choose you so you can sit there and feel warm and fuzzy. Why? I chose you and I appointed you to go. There's that word again, to go and to produce lasting fruit. So the calling on Peter's life, it is not just for him. It is not just a once for, the, for him. Despite his shortcomings, God chose him and called him and he calls us today. So what was it that Jesus saw in the life of Peter, I wonder? Like, I wonder what it was. This guy that let him down when he shouldn't have and at other times, you know, cut off a soldier's ear and a whole lot of stuff in Peter's life if you start reading about him. What did Jesus do to see in him? Like, I'm a pretty competitive guy. Like, when it was playtime at school when I was there, like, you were picking your team wisely, you know? You didn't want to run around for 40 minutes in the hot Queensland sun with a bunch of niff-nuffs. Like, I'll have you and you, eh, you and you will do Maybe that's part of the problem with the world today. PE teachers choose the teams rather than just letting two kids pick them all. I always used to feel sorry for the one who was left out, though. The kid who was standing there, oh, I never get picked, I never get picked. So as a teacher, you used to have to, you know, make all the different rules. Like, if I'm picking a team, I'm picking the ones I want. If we're playing Pictionary, I'm choosing my team wisely. Esther and I never play on the same team, and there's a reason why. That's not because I don't love us, it's just because I want to win things. Esther hates it. She hates no competition. Gives up. If you're picking a team, if you're picking a team that is going to give your message for the rest of eternity, like Jesus knows that he's going to die. That's not a surprise to him. He knows he's going to die. So right now he has got to work out what is his strategy for this message to last after he is gone. And he says, I'm going to have you. And what does he see in the life of Peter? That well after he is gone, he has this man, this fisherman. Not a teacher of the law. Not someone who knows the scriptures incredibly well and can talk about all the ancient prophecies and now how they've come to pass. Not a well-versed public speaker. Not someone high up in sort of in Jewish culture there so that he can get them and start talking to them and convincing them because he's got this platform of influence in the in the area like he could have chosen someone of significance who people actually knew and followed and he chose a fisherman and so often we see Jesus we see that God uses the foolish to confound the wise and in the earthly eyes here he's chosen a fisherman not someone of prominence 
How can we sometimes we can find that in our own lives? Well, why would God choose me? But Jesus saw something in the life of Peter. What did he see in the life of Peter? In Psalm 51, verse 17, David is repenting from an outrageous living of adultery and murder. And he says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for a broken spirit and a contrite heart, a life that would surrender. Because with that, he can do anything. If Peter had said, God, Jesus, yeah, I'll follow you, but first just let me go and... That wasn't his response. His response was that heart of surrender that said, yeah, here I am. And even though he fell along the way and his heart of surrender and his heart of following Jesus never wavered. That's what he's looking for. A broken and contrite heart. All through scripture, we see God using incredible people. We see him change many people's names. We had Abram into Abraham. We had Jacob into Israel. We had Saul into Paul. With that new name comes a new identity and a new character. What is it that God wants to work in you today? What is that part that he says, actually, I've got plans for you. I've got plans for you. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? What will your response today be? When he called Gideon, Gideon was insecure as to who he was. I'm just the least of the least. I'm a nobody. He called Moses and Moses says, I can't speak. When he called Joshua, he had to tell Joshua over and over again, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. When he calls you, what will your response be today? We look at human eyes in the life of Peter and we can see a guy who let people down, acted in ways that didn't make Jesus overly happy with many times over, and yet that's who Jesus chose. Jesus didn't see his faults. He saw the man he could become. And he chose him. So what does he see in you today? Does he see passion? Does he see empathy? Does he see commitment? Does he see loyalty? Does he see someone who's great at speaking to the masses? Does he see someone who is so wonderfully caring and kind? Does he see someone who is an extrovert? Does he see someone who is an introvert? There would have been a lot of people saw a lot of things wrong in the life of Peter. But Jesus saw the man that he could become. And when he looks upon your heart this morning, what does he see? Some of those traits, they're, they're personality traits and he will use your personality. But he's, what does he see in your heart? He's looking for a heart of surrender. 
When you surrender yourself to God, you don't need to be tossed back and forth by this world and what people may say and think anymore. Because you now live in the knowledge that God has chosen you to be a royal priest. He has chosen you to go and bear much fruit. And when you know that you are living in relationship with a God who chose you, man, what people say in this world, it does not matter. When people live a life that goes that direction and you're living a life that goes in a different direction, you do not matter because you've got the God of the universe who is cheering you on. Our God is a transformational leader who changes people's lives. And in the life of Peter, we see a life from a simple fisherman. And his life is radically transformed. He wants to transform your life today as well. That doesn't mean we all need to go and preach sermons in the city square to see 3,000 come to faith. But he's calling you to give over your life to God. Does that mean a change of career? Does it mean a change of living? Does it mean you do your world, you do your life differently? You're now going to live with more purpose to go and bear fruit, to go and be a fisher of men. He wants to transform your life. If there's that area inside of your life that you're not happy with, God works in that stuff. In your insecurities and your fears and your baggage, God works in that stuff. He sees you so differently to how this world sees you. He's looking for an open heart of surrender for a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Jesus' first words to Peter were, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. His first words were, come follow me. His last words in John 21, he'd risen from the dead. He encountered the disciples when they were out fishing and his last words to, G- to Peter were, follow me. For those of you who know, he asks Peter three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And on the third one, he says, follow me. His first words to Peter were, follow me. And his last words to Peter were, follow me. Will you follow him today, wherever he may lead? No conditions, not hanging on, no control. Will you follow him today truly? Because he has a purpose and a plan. There might be areas that you've stumbled in and you're not feeling great about. He transforms your life. He transforms your character. He gave Peter a new name, a new character, a new identity. Do you live and see yourself a certain way because of what you've been told for many years in your life or because of what friends tell you or people around you tell you, your boss, your employers? Like, Do we live in a way because that's how other people see us and so we live according to their expectations? Because God sees you differently. He created you with a purpose and a plan and he's calling you to that today. He will transform that part of your life. How open are you to that?
I've done some stuff wrong. He's not happy with me. God couldn't love me. Uh, God loves you. He's looking for a heart that will just say, here I am, Lord, send me. As Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And if you're living in that space already, you know the difference that it makes in your life. You know the difference that it makes when you live within, you know that you're following God's purpose for your life. Will you drop everything, your personal ambition, your lifestyle, maybe certain friends, maybe where you live, maybe certain behaviours? Would you drop that to follow Jesus? He's not looking for perfect role models. Peter was not a perfect role model. He was not the most spiritual guy running around the joint. Not the best speaker of things. He wasn't looking for a perfect role model. He's looking for real people. He's looking for real people with an open heart. For the next minute or so, I'm just going to encourage us just to sit in that quiet space with God. And I encourage you just to truly, just to, to sit in his presence again. And to ask God to reveal to you how he sees you. You're a child of God created in his image to do good works. Last week, Jess spoke of grace. Jesus displayed that love of grace to Peter's life when even though he abandoned him in his hour of greatest need, he still loved him and he still chose him despite his weakness.